I get to Exodus 12. Come on. Here we go. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, and I'll just pause right there for a moment. I want you to feel the weight of that verse. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, he's speaking. God is speaking to his chosen people. That is so profound. The God of this universe, he is speaking. And he continues to speak. When John was on the island of Patmos, Jesus showed up. The resurrected Jesus showed up and spoke to John. John, hearing the voice like the sound of many rushing waters. The scripture tells us that he turned to see the voice and the one who spoke. And as he turned, he describes the resurrected Son of God, the glorified Jesus. And the Bible tells us he fell on his face as a dead man. And Jesus touched him and gave him strength and proceeded to give him seven love letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. These letters are for the church. They're love letters to you and to I. And the salutation at the end of each of the seven letters was simply this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Present tense. God is still speaking to his chosen children. Gang, that's you and me. That's you and me. God is still speaking. He principally speaks through his word. Hallelujah. That is a challenge for every one of us to become students of the Word of God, to study ourselves, to become the workmen who need not be ashamed on the day that Jesus returns and visits. Come on, can I get an amen? amen. Oh, that we would be hungering and thirsting for the Word of God. As the deer panteth o'er the water brook, so my soul longeth after thee. May that be the cry of our hearts. Come on. That's not part of the sermon. <laughs> That's the preamble. God spoke to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt. And would you note that Moses and Aaron his children were in the land of Egypt. Egypt is a type of this world. It's a picture of you and I. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven from where we eagerly await the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is speaking to his children 
while they are yet in the midst of the world. That's encouraging. Verse 2, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you or to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire. It is, or excuse me, its head and its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning. And what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Goes on with some instruction. And then further, Moses and Aaron iterating to the assembly and the elders. You come to verse 28 and it says... Then the children of Israel went away and did so just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Verse 29, and it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, Go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, 
and go serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also. And so the children of Israel left. The scripture tells us that they plundered their neighbors by request. They received gold and they had received silver and they had received clothing and they were driven from the land of Egypt. This is a powerful picture and it's oftentimes difficult for us to comprehend. We are not a people of uh, the idea of butchering our own food. That's not a common practice today. For farmers it may be, but not for the majority of us. Most of us go to the grocery store and we buy our ground beef. We buy our steaks. We purchase our pork. We get our lamb. We pick up our fish from the butcher's counter. So when we see lambs being slaughtered, we oftentimes come with the wrong concept. And so there is some realities associated with what's transpiring here. They're making a meal. But God is doing something radical in this meal that he is prescribing, the Passover, the Seder meal. And God is about to protect and pass over because of the blood on the lentil and the doorposts. And so I have seven points that should alarm you. <laughs> and we may get through them all today. They are seven remembrances in these first 13 verses. Remembrances of the Passover. The first remembrance is remember God's Passover's shifting. If you look at verse 2, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. A cataclysmic calendar change. They took the month of Abib or Nisan, that was in the position of the seventh month in their lunar calendar, and God shifted it to the first month. God divided and literally gave them a civil calendar versus a religious calendar. There were now two calendars. It was a cataclysmic calendar change. The civil versus the religious. And God would set up in those seven months seven feasts whereby the nation of Israel, a peculiar people, a chosen people, God's holy people, he would through these feasts from generation to generation, year after year, rehearse his awesome power in their midst. And continue. And so the religious calendar. There was a second cataclysmic calendar change that occurred with God's Passover lamb. 
You see, in the year one, as we look at our Gregorian or Julian calendar, we're in one of those two. I can't remember now which one it is. I think it's Julian. Gregorian, thank you. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, the birth of the Son of God, Messiah, a cataclysmic calendar change. To this very day, in the majority of the world, if someone were to ask you what is today's date, they would say February 25th. 2018. What does the 2018 mean? It means it's been 2018 years since the birth of God's Lamb, God's chosen Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ. Remember God's Passover's Shifting, verse 2, reminds us of that powerful event back in the day and another powerful event that happened, certainly not in our lifetime, but has impacted us even to this day. Every single time you write a check, you are reminding yourself of the Lord. Does that make sense? Come on, that's epic. Every time we make a transaction with, some of you are looking at me like, what's a check? <laughs> I still use checks. <laughs> hey, it's a testimony. It's a testimony. Number two, remember God's perfect selection. God's perfect selection. Verses three through five says this. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or of the goats. On the 10th day, on the 10th day, I would remind all of us in the New Testament that there was a day that fulfilled one of the most dynamic prophecies in all of the scriptures of the Old Testament and all of the prophets, the major and the minors. In Daniel chapter nine, we are told from the going forth of the commandment to rebuild until Messiah, there would be seven sevens and 62 sevens and Messiah would be revealed. And on the 10th of Nisan, Jesus set up the events of the day, a day that we will be celebrating in just a few short weeks. We call it Palm Sunday, the day of the triumphal entry. It was the 10th of Nisan in that year. And the Lamb of God was being inspected. 
by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, just as they were inspecting some 265,000 lambs without spot or wrinkle on the temple mount and in the court area, so the Son of God, the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundations of the earth, was entering into the city of Jerusalem upon the foal of an ass. And the people were waving the palm branches, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the Son of David. And he was being inspected by the Pharisees, for they said to him, You must stop the people from crying these things out. They're proclaiming you to be Messiah. And he said, On this day, if the people cease, the very rocks will cry out. You see, it had been 173,880 days to the day. God was answering his prophetic word regarding his Messiah. He would be established and acknowledged. And they sought to find fault with him, asking him question after question. And he was found without spot or wrinkle, without blemish. The Lamb of God approved on the 10th day, one without blemish. Oftentimes at the Christmas season, we hear quoted from the prophet Isaiah, and the virgin shall be with child. It is a miracle. It is absolutely fascinating and powerful. And it pulls all together. You see, the bloodline from Adam has been tainted by sin. Therefore, all who are born of the seed of Adam carry sin, the iniquity that is passed on. Men will grow and have their own transgressions, but every man is conceived in sin because Adam sinned all are sinners, the scripture says. In order to have a pure bloodline, there had to be one born not of the will of man, but the will of God, the virgin birth, God's miraculous power. Therefore, Jesus' bloodline was without blemish, perfect. Paul refers to him as the second Adam from above. Adam, whose bloodline at one point in time back in the Garden of Eden was without blemish. He had not known sin until his disobedience. And because of that, the Bible tells us all are destined with a death sentence. All men. All mankind, Jesus makes possible as the second Adam from above, without blemish, one without blemish, and only perfection. God's bloodline was perfect, the second Adam from above. Let's remember God's perfect selection, without blemish. Number three, let's remember God's priceless Sacrifice, priceless sacrifice. 
Verse 6 says this, Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. Let me stop there. The family was to go out and select this little lamb, the year old. Now, Abigail, you've seen a lamb that's a year old. Jill, you've seen a little lamb that's a year old. I mean, when they look you in the eyes, I mean, they're so cute. I mean, for you and I, it's like that puppy. One year up, one down. Look at him. So cute. You just got to hold him. It's just cute. And there's an attachment that occurs. And they love the lamb. They bring him into his, their home. They cherish that lamb. In, in a short order of four days, he becomes kind of part of the family, little guy. I mean, to this day, for 15, almost 16 years later, I come into my house, and guess who greets me at my front door? Come on, Amos. Big old Amos comes walking up, and he's got a, I mean, he, he only plays for about 30 seconds now. He's like old guy now. <laughs> but it used to be 30 minutes, right? But I still got to get down on the floor. I still got to kind of rub behind his ear. And, I mean, it's so corny, but I literally rub in his ear like this. And I'll do that for, and he leans into it, you know, he kind of hard, boom, boom, boom. And then when I pull my ear away, he's got to turn real quick and sniff my finger. <laughs> I don't, I don't know, but if we don't do it, he waits. All right, here you go. And then the lamb, he becomes, if you will, in a four-day period, an integral part and a value. You know what I'm talking about. You've, you have fallen in love with some pets the moment you laid eyes on them. Listen, when I was walking down Peacock Lane, Charlie and Linda and Kim, you'd remember this. Where's Charlie and Linda? There you guys are. You remember. We were there. Christmas. And that box with those little puppies. And there was Amos. One ear literally flapped down, one ear up. And there was only two left. Oh, I picked up what would eventually become Amos. And he just, he licking, he's just trying to lick my face. I had to hold him away. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm taking this one. Kids didn't know we bought. I mean, I had to have them. It's just, I mean, love, instant. Why am I saying this? Priceless sacrifice. Of King David, David said in 2 Samuel chapter 24, I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. You see, 1 Chronicles chapter 21 tells us the story of Ornan, whose threshing floor David sought to purchase so that he could make an altar to the Lord and offer a sacrifice to the Lord because the tabernacle was back in Gibeon and he couldn't get there to inquire of the Lord. And he needed, and Ornan said to him, I'll give you the land. And David said, no, I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. And David purchased the threshing floor, the very space on Mount Moriah 
that some thousand plus years previously, another patriarch of the faith, Abraham, loaded up the wood on the back of his son, carrying the fire, said to the servants, you remain here with the donkey. The lad and I will go forward and we will make sacrifice unto the Lord and we will return. The faith of Abraham. God had called Abraham in a test, if you will, to offer his only son. Remember, he had already had Ishmael, but Isaac, the son of promise, offer your only son. And so Abraham proceeded up the mountain with his son. Josephus tells us that it is very likely that Isaac was between the ages of 28 and 32 years of age, carrying the wood, hoofing it up the hill, and making their way to Moriah, which would eventually become the threshing floor of Ornan. And it is there that you know that Isaac on the way up says, Father, and he says, here I am. And Isaac says, we have the wood and we have the fire. And Abraham had his knife. And Isaac says, where is the sacrifice? And the most profound statement that Abraham likely ever made God will provide himself a sacrifice. God will provide himself. The Son of God will come and be the sacrifice. And as Abraham arriving in that spot, he made the altar and he laid and bound his son at the age of likely 30-ish, binding him and laying him seated and then turning and lying down. He brought the knife up to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord spoke and said, Abraham, Abraham, lay not a hand upon your boy. And he interceded. And he said, I see that you would not withhold your son, and because of this, I will bless you. Every nation will be blessed in you. And they turned, and in the thicket was a ram that was caught. And he named the place Jehovah-Jireh. God provides. God will provide. And the next statement is the most profound. To this day, it is said, on the mount of the Lord, he will provide. And it is in that very place that David said, I will not offer that which cost me nothing. And some 1,000, 1,200 years later, God himself would offer his only son right where Ornan's threshing floor was on Mount Moriah called Calvary. And God offered his only begotten son of King David. Man's felt cost, that lamb living in the house, and God's real cost. It occurs to me, David is a man after God's own heart. That's what the scripture testifies. I believe that it reveals the heart of God. 
David said, I will not offer anything that costs me nothing. It costs God everything to offer his son, Jesus. God made him who knew no sin to become sin. The God of the universe who had never in all eternity known sin because of his great love for you and I and the desire to have fellowship with us. My sin, your sin, was laid upon him and he became sin. Oh, if we could fathom and grasp the reality he had never known sin. He had never known what it was to have a bad thought. He had never known what it was to have a bad action. He had never known what it was like to be disobedient. He had never known. And because he loves us, he said, yes. God so loved the world that he gave his son and Jesus yielded in obedience to the will of the Father. Take this cup. <laughs> if there's another way, take this cup. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Thy will be done. God made him to become sin. Oh, the cost priceless sacrifice. What value do we put in the work that Jesus accomplished upon the cross at Calvary for our own sin, for my sin? The iniquity of us all was laid upon him. The chastisement of my sin was laid upon him. The death that I deserve, the death that you deserve for the sin, for the soul that sins shall surely die. We're all sinners. He took it upon himself. What value do I place on that? Oh, that we would grasp and say, oh God, I repent because I continue to do things willfully, knowingly violating that which you have inspired in me. I violate my own conscience. The very good I know to do, I do not do. But that which I don't want to do, that I do. Oh, who will save me from this body of flesh? Thanks be to God. We have the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. What value? There is only one way for man to be redeemed from the death sentence. 
It is to come under the blood covering that God provided in the lamb that was slain from the foundation of this world. You and I possess this truth. Do we see the value in the lost souls that are all around us day in and day out? Day in and day out. Those who are dying, they're on the wide road that leads to death and destruction and we have the answer. If you had the answer for cancer, would you hold it to yourself? If you had that which would bring healing, would you contain it or would you broadcast it? We have the answer to the plague of death, the Lamb of God, his covering. Oh, that we would find that value and become more about the kingdom of God and less about our own kingdoms. Are you with me this morning? Does it hurt in a good way? Is it convicting? God, help us. There are people on their way to hell and we have the very answer of life. Oh, help us be about your business, oh Father. Number four, remember God's provided substitute. Verse seven. Verse seven says, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentil of the houses where they eat it. This is God's pattern. Consider from the very onset of creation, Adam and Eve in the midst of the garden, they're tempted by the serpent. The Targums would tell us that the very dialogue that Eve has with the serpent, the historical records of the Jews and the oral teachings of the Jews tell us that it was in the midst of the garden when the serpent stood on one side, Eve in the middle, and the tree behind her. And he said, did God really say these things? And she said, yes. God said that we cannot eat of the fruits nor touch the tree. That it was at that point that the serpent pushed her against the tree because she said, if we eat of the fruit or touch it, we will surely die. And there the Targums tell us that the serpent pushed her against the tree. And she didn't die. And she thought, well, maybe God really is withholding something good. You and I know textually that she saw that the fruit was good, desiring to make one wise, to be like God, knowing good and evil. And so she took the fruit and she ate and she handed it to her husband who was there. And he ate the fruit also. Because of their disobedience, because of their questioning God, because of their questioning his commandment, the Bible tells us that God made covering for them with skins. It shows us that 
Innocent blood was shed. And God made covering. God demonstrates his pattern continuously. God's provision, again, the story of Abraham and Isaac, and now Moses and the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 12, all the way up to Jesus Christ, God's Passover. So we have God's pattern, God's provision, and God's Passover. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth in the fifth chapter, verses seven and eight says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. God's substitute. God provided a substitute, and he's been doing it from the very beginning. The blood shed the sacrificial system, the innocence of blood, and ultimately the Son of God, the innocent one whose blood was perfect, ultimately sacrificed as the Lamb of God, his Passover. Number five, remember the plenary Seder. The plenary Seder, the complete meal. Then they said, verses eight through 11, Uh, Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with your sandals on your feet, and with your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. The feast of Passover established for generation unto generation unto generation. To this very day, the feast of Passover is celebrated, followed by the feast of unleavened bread. Followed by the feast, or in the midst of the feast of unleavened bread, is the feast of first fruits. And these are a picture. They're all a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. And so, The feast of Passover established, and to this very day, it is continued. The feast is to be consumed, as you see. It must be ingested. And I would suggest to every one of us, if you have your Bibles open, turn to John chapter 6. We won't read the entirety, but in John chapter 6 is a portion that is Oftentimes difficult to understand, Jesus does declare that it is spiritual and he is speaking things of the Spirit. Chapter 6, beginning in verse 48, says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, 
How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I, have, I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. We must consume the Lamb of God. As John on the island of Patmos was shown a little book, the angel said, consume the book, and he ate it. Now most of us think about, well, I mean, did he have like a fork and a knife? Did he have any salt and pepper? To consume it, like that Seder meal is to take it and bring it in and ingest it. When we consume the word of God, we're taking it in and letting it become part of the fabric of who we are, just like the DNA of that Seder lamb will become part of our being. So the word of God is to transform and become part of us. It becomes a new DNA in us. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? And his word, which is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow. It is the revealer of the motives and the intents of the heart. And when God's word reveals a motive in me that is out of my flesh, and I hear the words of Jesus, the flesh profits nothing. I can in cooperation with that which is now a part of me, the word of God dwelling in me, can say yes. And I can say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit of God. Must be consumed. Again, we encourage everyone, become a student of the word of God. Oh, hunger and thirst for God's word. Study thyself. Rightly divide the word of truth. Hunger and thirst for God's word. So the feast of Passover, the feast must be consumed 
Jesus, the bread of life, Jesus, the Lamb of God. It reminds us of communion, and rightly so. Every time we partake in communion, we eat of the bread and we drink of the juice, and we are reminded, and it is in remembrance of him that we do these things. Taking in, if you will, what Christ accomplished upon the cross, what Christ accomplished in his life as part of us. Willfully acknowledging this cup is the cup of the new covenant in the shed blood of Jesus. And I, by my own volition, say, yes, I am a participant. I am part of the new covenant. Come on. It's epic. And so... He references the unleavened bread. Leaven is a type of sin throughout all of the scripture. And let me just simply say this. To remove leaven, a bacteria, from one's own house is a very tedious occurrence. And every year in the evening of the Passover... The fathers would place one last piece of leavened bread somewhere in the house. And it was the assignment of the children to take a candle, a lit candle, and the feather of a dove. And to go through the house meticulously cleaning the windowsills, meticulously dusting the furniture, and they would move it into a little wooden spoon and put it in a bag. And they would go together and they would hold the spoon and the dusting with the feather of the dove and looking in every nook and cranny and sticking it in there to get that last little piece out. And they would make it a game. And the child who found the last piece of leaven in the house, it was like a little cupcake, sweet little roll that had risen with the leaven. They got to eat it as a treat. And so it was desired, and they would actually clean the entire house. How clever is that, moms and dads? <laughs> if you have young kids, we have a new institution for you. Get that house dusted and cleaned. Will you look at the typology? The psalmist said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The candle is a picture of the word of God. And the child and the children of the most holy God taking that feather from a dove, a picture of the Spirit of God. And it's with the Word and with the Spirit that one can find the sin and the leaven in our lives. And so see it removed. They would take it in that wooden spoon, put it in that bag, and take it out into the public square, and they would burn it, torch it, Get rid of it. Can't go back and get it. It's gone. Oh, that we would see the value. And we also, in cooperation with the Spirit of God, would take this candle and we would look internally. That's why when we come to the communion table, we do not come in an unworthy manner, but we inspect our lives. The inspection is the Word of God, and it's the Spirit of God. And oh, when the Spirit brings conviction in our lives that we would, in cooperation with him, say no to the flesh. Bring it out and burn it, never to go back to it.
Does that make sense? God, help us. The Seder meal, remember, God's complete meal. Number six and number seven. Remember God's patient sufferance. His patient sufferance. You know, I notice in verse 12, he says this, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike the firstborn in all the land or in the land of Egypt, both man and beast against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Gang, God's judgment day had come. God's judgment day had come. The death sentence was over all Egypt. Goshen was part of Egypt. Without the blood covering, the children of Israel would also have faced death in their homes. But because of God's provision, they did not. But God's judgment had finally come. He had been patient. Listen, the entirety of Moses' life, 80 years now of age, when he was born, his parents hid them, hid him, put him in a basket, pushed him out amongst the reeds where Pharaoh's daughter would be bathing so she would find this Hebrew child and take him in. Why did they put him in a basket? Because there was a death sentence on all the male children. Persecution, bondage. For his entire life, bondage let alone the 360 years or 340 years previous to his birth. There was 430 years of persecution. God's patience and long-suffering. Sometimes God's judgment delayed is misunderstood by his children. Because I don't face immediate consequences, I feel like I'm sometimes getting away with things and I can become self-deceived. You can become self-deceived. God loves us and he won't allow us to continue in sin. There will be consequences for disobedience. We need not suffer the consequence of disobedience if we would simply cooperate with the Lord. Don't be self-deceived. Don't think, man, I'm getting away with it. Don't think that God loves you less because he's not excising some kind of judgment on misbehaving. God hates sin. He is a holy God. He's a holy God. Oh, that we would recognize that there is consequence to sin. A man reaps what he sows. If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap life. Oh, God, help us not think that somehow we're getting away with it or somehow God is indifferent towards us or getting some vain imagination that somehow God is allowing this and actually blessing wrong behavior. No, no. Don't bite the apple and believe your adversary who would whisper in your ear and lie and whisper to us that it is okay. No, far be it from us. God 
is slow to anger and rich in mercy. When sin abounds, thanks be to God, grace that much more. Can I get an amen? But boy, when the Spirit of God is convicting you, do not resist the conviction of the Spirit of God. Turn and repent. God's patience is because he is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Sometimes we ask the question, why would God allow 430 years of persecution? Do you know that the text tells us previously that the sins of the Amorites had not been completed? God was seeking opportunity to bring the Amorites to a place of repentance. And when their sin was complete and they would not repent, God's timeline kicked in. Not willing that any should perish. I wonder sometimes what false conclusions we are drawing of God even today. Sometimes as his children we think God's always watching me to get me. He is watching to get me. As soon as I blow it, he's on me. I'm under his punishing eye. God's angry with me. God is withholding from me. God is cruel. Those are wrong conclusions. Your enemy wants you to think that way. Those are wrong. Pastor Dave is going long today. That's wrong. (laughs) God's judgment day will also come. There is a final judgment day that is coming. And those whose faith is not in Jesus Christ, the blood covering that God has provided, they will spend eternity separated from God. I pray today that grips our hearts. That grips our hearts. Thanks be to God for his grace and mercy in that he has revealed Jesus to you and me, but he has not revealed Jesus to you and I that we would contain it for ourselves but know that we would be broadcasters of the grace of God, that we would share with every living creature. Mark, the disciple Mark, he says, go preach to every creature. Every creature, proclaim the gospel. It's our assignment. Oh, I'm sorry, I have nine points. Just kidding, just kidding. Finally and quickly, remember God's propitiating sign, the blood. He said, this will be a sign for you, the blood. And he said, the blood will be a sign for me when my angel comes through. And he's telling the children of Israel, my, the angel of death is coming through the streets of Goshen. But the blood on the doorpost and the lentil will be a sign and he will pass over. Redemption paid for by the blood of the Lamb. No covering, N-O covering, no, K-N-O-W, the plague of death. No, the blood covering, K-N-O-W, N-O, the plague of death. What about you? What about those you know? Are you known and know God? Have you received 
the blood covering? Are you under the blood covering? Jesus died upon the cross at Calvary, shedding his own blood for the sin of the world. It's available to all men, but it must be apprehended and applied to my life, to this house. I must cover by the blood. I must lay hold and apprehend that which Christ Jesus has apprehended me for salvation, to be delivered. Let's take the message with us as we go. Can I get an amen? Let's stand this morning and prepare our hearts for point number eight and nine. The word of God is true. The word of God is perfect. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is sufficient, all sufficient for that which is needed to know for salvation and sanctification, to live upright and godly to please the Lord in how we live. With eyes closed for just a moment, with every eye closed, every head bowed, you've heard Exodus 12. You understand God's provision of a lamb and its shed blood for a covering. And God provided himself. He provided himself God the Son came and became the Lamb of God, shedding his own blood. And you'd say, Pastor Dave, I'm not in a house, this earthen, this earthen vessel of mine, this body, doesn't have the blood on the doorposts and the lintel. But I want to come under the blood covering of God that he has provided for me in Christ Jesus, that my sin would be forgiven. And you want to receive Christ, be born again, and know that your sins are forgiven and come under the covering of God. If that's you, and you'd say yes to Jesus, would you indicate that to me by simply raising your hand where you are and say, remember me. I see that hand, God bless you. I see that hand, God bless you. Come on. Anybody else, you'd say yes. You can put your hand down now. God bless you. Anybody else, you'd say, yes, yes, I want to know. When I leave this life, I will spend eternity with God. One last moment, if that's you. The Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, we come this morning in the name of Jesus praying. And Lord, we're so thankful for your provision. You supplied and provided the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, as John declared. Behold, Lord, this morning too have beheld the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. We declare with them, and we're going to say this out loud. We declare with them, Jesus Christ is Lord. Say that with me. Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. And we believe, God, that you raised him from the dead on that third day because death had no hold on him because the power of sin is death. 
and he was without sin. Therefore, death had no hold on him, and he lives forevermore in resurrection power. And on that day, those who have consumed the blood and the bread, if you will, spiritually speaking, the life of Christ, he will raise us up in resurrection power on that day. So, Lord, we thank you and we welcome these two. Will you just, let's just thank the Lord this morning for these two who have said yes. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me give you this on our way out. And those who raise their